Old Testament reading this morning is Psalm 28. To you I will cry, O Lord, my rock. Do not be silent to me. Lest if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Do not take me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity, who speak peace to their neighbors, but evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render to them what they deserve. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord, nor the operation of his hands, he shall destroy them and not build them up. Blessed be the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song I will praise him. The Lord is their strength, and he is the saving refuge of his anointed. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Shepherd them also and bear them up forever. I say amen to that. I have the Lord's Prayer. If you'd stand with him, we say it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
17 verses 5 through 10. The apostles said to the Lord, Show us how to increase our faith. The Lord answered, If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, May you be uprooted and thrown into the sea, and it would obey you. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal, put on your apron and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. If you join me now in a responsive reading. Dear God, I'll hide your world within my heart to call upon each day, to calm me when the trials appear or troubles come my way. My very life is in your hand. My heart is yours to mold. Each part of me belongs to you, a story to unfold. Forgive me when I fail to live the way that you want me to. Restore in me undying faith and make me more like you. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are the creator of all. You, and you have entrusted certain things to each one of us as you believe we are ready to handle them. But you also call for us to give back, to share with others as you have shared with us. So Lord, the gifts we give, we ask that they, that they be used wisely, that they be used in a way that you would see fit for them to be used. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. No doxology.
on his back. He's at the synagogue. He went straight to the synagogue. I saw him. And now, our reading from the prophets. The prophet Isaiah. Uh, who, is, who is our reader? Oh, yes. My son, today, Rabbi. <coughs> The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to give good tidings to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, to give sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Amen. are fulfilled. Scriptures are fulfilled. Did he say fulfilled? But how can he dare to say such a thing? What do you mean? The prophecy you have read can only be fulfilled by the coming of the Messiah. Yes, right. By the coming of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God comes not in a way foreseen by men. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of heaven. Behold. Is suddenly upon you. What? <laughs> Blessed is he who is not ashamed of me. Today, in our hearing, the scriptures are fulfilled. Good morning. Continuing on in our study of the Gospel of John, our text today will be John chapter 1, 37 through 51. We'll be discovering who Messiah is, what he will say, and what he will do. A recap from last week, starting at 
starting at John 1.36. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. Verse 37. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Which two? Nathaniel and the fellow who wrote this gospel, John the Beloved. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want, he asked. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? He said, come and see. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with Jesus to the place where he was staying and they remained there with him the rest of the day. The title of my sermon this morning is Come and See. Let us pray. Lord God, we come to you this morning asking to see you face to face, just as the disciples saw you. We ask to see the very face of God, just as they did. With eyes of faith, we would behold you. With arms of faith, we would embrace you. With ears of faith, we would hear all that you would speak to us this day. Make it so, Lord. Make it so. By your matchless grace and the infinite power of your Holy Spirit, make it so. Lord Jesus, we ask this in your precious name. Amen. Verse 40 of John chapter 1. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John the Baptist said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found Messiah. What is Messiah? Who is Messiah? What will he say and do? In Hebrew, Yeshua HaMashiach means Jesus, the promised one, or Jesus, the anointed one. As we saw the video clip, those words ring true today. This day in your hearing, the scriptures are fulfilled. The audience of Jesus this being his first sermon. Imagine preaching your first sermon in your hometown and it ends with people trying to kill you. Not a roaring success. But they were incensed that uh, one that they knew would claim to be Messiah. Prophet is without honor in his own hometown. Who is Messiah? He who fulfills scripture. And in Jesus' ministry, he fulfilled 300 plus prophecies from the Old Testament. John chapter 1 verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. But who is the word? Who is the word? In the beginning, and by the way, Pastor Frank did an excellent job on this, a most excellent job. 
In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That word was in the Greek is amazing. The word I, me in Greek is the imperfect, indicative, active tense. Unless you're a grammarian that, uh, that backs us up a little bit. The imperfect, indicative, active tense. In other words, the word was and is eternally and continually being. Always, has been, always will be. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you struggle with the concept of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, remember this. If God were small enough for me to figure out, he wouldn't be big enough for me to worship. That's a quote from J.B. Phillips. If you remember back in the 60s, J.B. Phillips issued one of the first paraphrases, and it was magnificent. If God were small enough for me to figure out, he wouldn't be big enough for me to worship. John 1, verse 4 through 5, the Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. The word light is used 30 times in the Gospel of John. Pure white light pushed through a prism refracts three colors, three basic colors, red, yellow, and blue. I see the red as the life and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The yellow, the brightness of his Father, and the blue, the Holy Spirit. Three primary colors, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Matthew 5.14 from the message. Jesus sums up his Sermon on the Mount with this. You're here on this earth to be light. My light, bringing out the God colors in this world. Back to our text, John 1, 42. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas. The Greek here is Petros. I hate to tell you, but the, the Catholics have this all wrong. They uh, think to Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus said, I will build my church upon this rock. And they say that that rock is Peter. That is not correct. This verse in John, your name shall be called Cephas. Cephas in Greek is Petros, and it means a fragment of the rock. 
Jesus is Petra, the rock, the whole, complete, the only rock. 1 Corinthians 3.11, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is already laid, which his name is Jesus Christ. All of us who are followers of Jesus are Petros, fragments of the rock. We are the foundation stones that make up the walls of the kingdom. But we rest on the rock, Petra. Verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said, excuse me, he found Philip and said to him, come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida. Andrew and Peter's hometown. We see a pattern here. Come and see becomes come and follow. To see Jesus, to comprehend him, to believe he is who he says he is, is one thing. But to follow him, quite another. The thief on the cross did not get a chance to follow Jesus other than with his heart for a few moments. Your soul is not secure until you follow. There has to be change. You have to be able to look back at your life and see a cataclysmic change. Repentance is not just a 180 degree turn. It is to turn and follow. It is a long obedience in the same direction. It's not enough to just believe. We must follow. We must take up our cross and follow Jesus daily. Verse 45 through 46. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come see for yourself, Philip said. Nathaniel here is not insulting Nazareth. Rather, he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Because Nazareth is not a well-known city. It is not the birthplace of Messiah. Surely he must come from a recognized city. If I said Cisco, Texas, most of you have never heard of Cisco, Texas. There is nothing, oh you have, okay, one of us, two of us. <laughs> it is not infamous. As a matter of fact, the only town close that is recognizable for anything would be Thurber, Texas. Anybody know what Thurber is famous for? Well, it has a monster coal stack, but it was the first hotel that Baron Hilton built. But Cisco, not famous for anything other than being a flyaway for white-winged dove. 
So Nathaniel is not dissing Nazareth. He's simply saying, how could he come from some place so obscure? Verse 47, as they approached, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. This is Holy Spirit anointing that he would make this profession. Here Nathanael has professed faith and received salvation. And Romans 10, 9, and 10 hasn't been written yet. This is Holy Spirit anointing. Salvation through the sacrificial death of Messiah was a foreign concept to the Jews. The Pharisees had taught for generations that salvation was the birthright of Israel. That since they were the lineage of Abraham, salvation was in their DNA. They didn't think they needed a savior. What they needed was a Messiah who had come on a white steed with a sword and fire out his mouth, delivering them from the Romans. They had been taught this for generations. So when Jesus stood in the synagogue in Nazareth and said, today the scriptures are fulfilled. No, you're not. Mm-mm, can't be. You don't dress like us. You have not the right lineage. You can't possibly be Messiah. But Jesus took them to task on this. John 5, verse 39 through 40, from the message. You have your heads in the scriptures constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there. But you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me, and here I am, standing right before you. And you aren't willing to receive from me the life you say you want. 1,500 years later, and Jesus was saying the same thing to the Roman Catholic Church. He said it through Luther, Calvin, and John Knox, he said, these scriptures are all about me, and you've perverted them. Luther preached sola scriptura. This is Latin for scripture alone. Are you familiar with the five solas? Well, let's get familiar with the five solas. When you use the word reformed, most people think of Calvin. But reform covers all Protestants who believe in the tenets or cardinal doctrines of the Reformation. In other words, if you call yourself a Protestant, you're supposed to believe the five solas. What are the five solas? The five solas distinguish Protestantism from Catholicism. And they are as follows. Sola gratia, 
grace alone. Sola fide, faith alone. Solus Christos, Christ alone. Sola scriptura, scripture alone. And sole deo gloria, for the glory of God alone. Where are these five solas found? Glad you asked. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 from the New King James. For by grace, Russia, you have been saved through faith, fide, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God and not of works, lest anyone should boast. Sola Scriptura. Luther's name was synonymous with Sola Scriptura. Why? Scripture alone was the banner he flew over the Protestant Reformation. Sola Scriptura, Jesus, is Scripture. Scripture alone will save you. Back to our text. Back to the fig tree. Jesus asked Nathaniel this question, John 1.50. Do you believe that I am the Son of God just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? Why is the fig tree important? The fig tree throughout Scripture represents Israel. Who hid their sin in the, in the garden? Who hid their sin with fig leaves? What kind of tree did Zacchaeus climb up to see? Jesus, a sycamore fig tree. So to be under the fig tree or in the fig tree represents Israel looking for her Messiah, having not yet found him. If you've seen The Chosen, the miniseries that uh, has been put out in the past two years. I recommend it. It is quite, quite close to Scripture. But in the chosen, Nathaniel is a, an architect, and he has just designed a temple. And in the construction of this temple, Something has gone awry and one of the beams has fallen off and most of the structure has collapsed. And he sees it as the end of his career. And he runs to the outskirts of town and sits under a fig tree. And he's looking at the blueprints that he has drawn and he's saying to God, I did this all for you. This was all for you. And now it's disaster. And my career is over. Do you hear me? Where are you? Why has this happened? We don't know exactly why Nathaniel was under the fig tree. But we can assume that he was there crying out to God for a disaster in his life. 
And we know that God saw him. And we know that God heard him. When Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree. You cried out to me and I heard you. And Nathanael responds, my Lord and my God, you are the king of Israel. So find yourself a fig tree. Cry your heart out to God and watch what happens. And by the way, it doesn't necessarily have to be a fig tree. Just cry out. Verse 51. And then Jesus said, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. A stairway to heaven. No, we're not uh, talking about a Led Zeppelin song. This puts us in mind of a portion of Scripture Testament, Genesis 28. Jacob's ladder, the dream the patriarch had in his visitation from God, the angel of the Lord that he wrestled with was Christ himself. Anytime you see the angel of the Lord in Scripture, that is Christ. Genesis 28, 10 through 12. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. And as he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God ascending and descending on this stairway. The central theme of Jacob's dream is God promising Jacob the land of Haran and to make his descendants as numerous as the dust and to protect him wherever he went. Jacob wakes from his dream, builds a memorial. We call that an Ebenezer. A memorial made of stone. Come thou fount of every blessing. Sound familiar? Here I raise my Ebenezer. Here by thy great help I've come. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Ebenezer. When Jacob woke from his dream, he said, God is in this place. And he built a memorial, an altar of stone. And he called that place Bethel. In English, Bethel. We have been given a myriad of Bible promises. And therefore, we should be building Ebenezers everywhere we go. Have you ever built a, an Ebenezer in your backyard? I have. I think we should all build an Ebenezer in our backyard and dedicate it to God. Saying, Lord, this property is yours. This, 
This house is yours. This family is yours. You are our God. And this place is heaven's gate. If you did so, what would happen? When the neighbors come over for a barbecue and everybody's scabbarded on the back patio and they ask, what's that pile of rocks over there? You've got a whole pass to witness of your faith. That's my Ebenezer. That is symbolic of my faith in God. Verse 51. I tell you the truth you will see heaven open. The Greek here simply, amen, amen. We've translated that into English, I tell you the truth. In Greek, amen, amen. It means, yes, so it shall be. Did you know that... Uh, There are perhaps few words in the Greek more powerful than amen. Did you have any idea it was so powerful? Amen, amen, so it shall be. Every time in your English Testament where Jesus says truly, truly, he's saying amen, amen, so it shall be. You will see heaven open and angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. That literally means you will see God at work, ministered to by his angels. And if you're doing God's work, you will be ministered to by God's angels. Let us open our eyes and see God at work in your life and in the lives of all around you. This promise is ours just as surely as Jesus spoke it to the disciples. But how clearly we see it is a matter of faith and a matter of commitment. If you can't see God at work, if you can't see what he is doing, you'll never join him. You'll never join him in what he is doing. And if we fail to join him, we miss out on the very joy of our salvation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, amen and amen. Let it be. Let it so be, Father. Seek your face every day that we seek to know, to see, to comprehend what you are doing here in your world. And amen, amen. Make it so that we will join you in what you are doing and thereby find the joy of our salvation. And we ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.
here we are, ready to celebrate again. Um, and I agree with Ray. Uh, Frank did such a beautiful message last week on, on the Lamb of God, he called it. And if you didn't hear it, or, or maybe you want to hear it again, it's really the salvation message, and it's on podcast. John is so faithful to, to do, and um, I would suggest that you listen to that. You'll be blessed. Um, and it, it had to do with, I can't redo his whole thing. I mean, it was an hour, let's face it, but um, <laughs> it was, it was uh, how Jesus came as the Lamb of God, and he takes away the sins of the world. And he who believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He took my place, took my sins upon himself, and he died instead of me. Isn't that amazing? Who would think? But as I went through this week, I thought about the paradox, all the paradoxes of, of Jesus and, and how he's so different. He's so different than the world. And he humbled himself. He came a man. He came a servant. Jesus the king, so different than the world. Like, like Ray said, they wanted a warrior. They wanted, you know, they wanted. But here he comes, riding on a donkey. I can't, I can't imagine. But this is who Jesus is. He emptied himself of deity. Uh, he took the form of a servant. You know, he even washed the disciples' feet. Um, he was made in the likeness of humanity. And for that reason, he can relate to us. He knows what it's like to cry. He knows what it's like to feel pain. Um, he knows what you're going through. He humbled himself, and he became obedient to death. He could have called it off. You know, he didn't want to. He didn't like it. You know, he prayed that the Father, if he, to take this cup from him, but if not, your will, mine. And then he accepted the most painful, humiliating way to die, and that was crucifixion. So he died in my place and yours when we accept him as our personal savior. So we are going to sing the Lamb of God. Um, so if you'd like to stand, and it'll, it'll be up here. Yeah. 
This has always been a little confusing, but I think we'll come up and take our bread, take a cup, and then go back to your seat this way, and then, and then that way. You know, the bread represents the body of Christ, broken for you, individually, personally. Eat that right away. Take him individually. And then hold the cup. Take the cup back to your seat. It does represent the blood of Christ, shed for you no shedding of blood no remission of sins you know they they sacrificed animals over and over again to cover their sins uh, but jesus died once and he took our sins upon himself so praise god
pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you for the gift of those who recognized him, who eventually became his disciples and helped spread his word so that we may all learn it and abide by it, Lord. For it's truly your Son. He truly made everything from the smallest molecule or atom that we know of that makes up our entire universe. He was the Word, is the Word, and shall always be the Word. Thank you in, in his name. Amen.